0: Hey, it's Jenny. We're currently gearing up for a brand new season of Womanica. Until then, we're bringing you our favorite episodes featuring villains, troublemakers, magic, and mystery in honor of October. Now, on to the episode.
1: Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Edie Allard, managing producer, and I'm so excited to be introducing this best of episode of Womanica talking about one of the most famous suspected axe murderers in American history. I'm fascinated by the story of this womanikin because despite the fact she was found not guilty, her name is still inextricably associated with that grisly murder. She's such a great example of the conflict between history and folklore. Now, here's host Jenny Kaplan to talk about Lizzie Borden.
0: Lizzie was born in Fall River, Massachusetts in 1860 to Andrew and Sarah Borden. Andrew made his fortune mostly in textiles and property development and was well known in Fall River for being frugal. Lizzie and her older sister Emma were raised in a religious household and spent their younger years heavily involved in church activities. Lizzie's mother died when Lizzie was just two years old. And three years later, her father married a woman named Abby Gray, Lizzie and Emma both hated their stepmother from the beginning. They thought she'd married their father for his fortune. And they may have felt threatened because, unlike their frugal father, it seemed the two sisters had expensive tastes. On the morning of August 4, 1892, Andrew Borden left for work as usual. The only people left at home were Lizzie, her mother, and their maid, Bridget. Andrew came home a few hours later and laid down for a nap on the couch. According to Lizzie's later testimony, at approximately 11.15 in the morning, she found her father dead on the couch. It appeared that he'd been struck in the head multiple times with a sharp object. Abby, the hated stepmother, was found dead upstairs, brutally mutilated. The coroner determined that Abby had died about an hour before her husband. Police quickly came to the conclusion that the murders had to be an inside job, but they were confused by the lack of blood at either scene, except for on the bodies themselves. They also couldn't find anything resembling a murder weapon. Prosecutors later argued that the weapon had, famously, been an axe. Suspicion almost immediately turned toward Lizzie. Her sister had been out of town at the time of the murder, and it was well known that Lizzie had issues with her father and stepmother. Was also unconvincing. Lizzie claimed to have no idea where her stepmother was after 9 a.m. And then she claimed that while her father was being murdered, she was in the barn looking for lead sinkers for a fishing trip. But when the police examined the barn, there were no footprints on the dusty floor. Police also learned that Lizzie had visited a drugstore the day before the murder to buy a deadly poison. On August 11th, Lizzie was arrested. At first, the grand jury refused to issue an indictment, but then a family friend presented new evidence. The friend had stayed with Lizzie in the days following the murders and said that she witnessed Lizzie suspiciously burning a blue dress in the kitchen fire. Lizzie had said the dress was covered with paint. Lizzie's maid had previously stated that Lizzie had been wearing a blue dress on the day of the murder. The new evidence convinced the jury to issue the indictment. The trial of Lizzie Borden began on June 5, 1893, in the New Bedford Courthouse. It was a public sensation even before the first gavel. The newspapers had covered the story from the beginning, and the country was both enthralled by the story and split over Lizzie's guilt. It was essentially the O.J. Simpson trial of its day. Lizzie had a high-powered defense team at her side, including Andrew Jennings and George Robinson, the former governor of Massachusetts. The jury was made up of 12 men. Newspaper accounts were very impressed with the performance of Lizzie's lawyer, George Robinson, who seemed to consistently poke holes in the prosecution's case. They weren't nearly as impressed with the quality of the prosecution's bench. In his summation of the defense, Andrew Jennings argued There is not one particle of direct evidence in this case from beginning to end against Lizzie A. Borden. There is not a spot of blood. There is not a weapon that they have connected with her in any way, shape, or fashion. Robinson, who gave his own summation for the defense, claimed that the crime could only have been committed by a maniac or the devil. It certainly couldn't have been committed by a respectable lady. The jury deliberated for only an hour and a half before returning with its verdict. Not guilty. Today, many speculate that the jury may have been more inclined to convict had Lizzie been a man. Most people in the late 19th century found it hard to believe that a woman of Lizzie's background could have pulled off such brutal killings. How unladylike. That said, modern experts believe it's very likely that Lizzie was guilty. After the trial, Lizzie returned to Fall River, where she and her sister Emma purchased a large home called Maplecroft and lived a quiet existence. Lizzie was involved in the theater scene in town, and mostly associated with what one might call bohemian types. She died at 67 years old in Fall River, and was buried next to her parents. Whether she killed her parents or not, the story of Lizzie Borden, the axe murderer, holds a special and disturbing place in the American imagination and pop culture mythology. All month, we're bringing you the best of villainy, magic, and mystery. Tune in tomorrow for another of our favorite episodes. Special thanks to Liz Kaplan, my favorite sister and co-creator. Talk to you tomorrow.